I would come in at 8.30 in the morning and I would work until, well, I personally perhaps until 8 in, in the evening. Well, people in the office perhaps until until seven. So it's long times. Yes, I mean, if you don't have dinner until until nine, leaving at seven is the same as if you leave at five and then have dinner at at seven p.m. In Spain, people work much harder than our reputation is. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graf. On today's episode, we're discussing the machining industry in Spain. Our guest is Patrick Bosch, Managing Director of Nagamore, a 150-employee Tier 2 automotive company headquartered in Madrid, Spain. According to Patrick, despite Spain's reputation as having a relaxed culture, its people are quite serious about manufacturing. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am honored to be with Patrick Bosch, Managing Director of Nagamore in Madrid, Spain. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Thanks a lot, Noah. I met Patrick um, many years ago in my travels in Spain. I knocked on his door because he has a lot of hydromats and Spain is a beautiful place to visit and it's a good excuse uh, to go there to look for machines and treasure. So. Patrick, today we're going to talk mainly about machining in Spain and your company. And I think you have a lot of interesting perspective having been born in Germany. That's my understanding. I myself am born in Madrid, but I'm the the first Spanish-born generation. So my entire background is German. So that's why also my, my name is more German than Spanish. So Patrick Bosch doesn't really sound very Spanish. Okay. So good. I'm glad we got that figured out. And also, I, you have started a company in Mexico, correct? Yes, indeed. Nagamore founded a subsidiary called Nagamex in Mexico. So easy to differentiate when you talk about the uh, plant in Spain or Mexico. So the Mexican is in Nagamex two years ago. And uh, well, the first year was uh, set up shipping of uh, the machine, uh, all the building uh, equipment installation. And now, since one year, we are in zero production. Wow. Okay. So I'll touch on that as well. Okay. First, I want to give people a quick understanding of Nagamore and then get a, a little bit about you, three to five minute story of your life. And then uh, we're going to talk about the machining world 
in Spain. Okay. So first, what what is Nagamore? What what do you guys make? What what's your industry? So Nagamore is a company specialized in turn parts. So we do machining. We have different types of uh, machining uh, of machines. So we do. Uh, either rotary transfer machines or hydromat machines, as you already mentioned. Then we have this uh, multi-spindle lace and finally also CNC lace. So uh, what we do is uh, we do uh, turn parts for the automotive industry. That would be the, uh, the quick uh, story. Sure, sure. And how, how big of a company are you? Hmm. So Nagamore is, as of today, uh, as big as 150 employees. Uh, and we have a turnover of around uh, 15 million euro, so around 16, 16 17 million uh, dollar a year. And uh, that includes as well our subsidiary in Mexico. We do have a machine park of around 80 machines, 80, and uh, mm-hmm. I would say two thirds of them are uh, turning or in general machining uh, machines, so transfers, CNCs, and multi spindle. And then we have a uh, a third of the machine park are secondary process machines like grinding, rolling, stamping, heap uh, hole drilling, uh, induction hardening, etc. Okay, and you are the founder of the company, or well, the company is a, has a curious start. Uh, the company was founded by a, a Spanish company called Nagares, and as a joint venture together with a, a Germany a German called uh, Moore. So that's why this uh, funny name Naga Moore. But the two partners didn't get along each other just when the company was on paper. So by then, uh, the Spanish partner stepped out, and my parents, uh, my family, as a German-speaking but Spanish citizen uh, family stepped in, uh, although a few years later they also took over uh, the part of the German uh, founder. And uh, as of today, so just a few years after it was founded, it was already uh, fully owned by our family. But our surname is Bosch, so we have not too much aspirations to change the name of the company, <laughs> as you can imagine. So uh, Bosch indeed is our one of our customers. So that's why we just left it as it is. And uh, Nagamore is still here with us uh, today. It would be pretty confusing if all of a sudden you were Bosch. I'm sure that would... Yes, indeed. So you, you have a background in finance? I have a background. Uh, I have uh, my initial years uh, were in finance indeed. So uh, I studied business administration uh, and engineering. And after university, I started the first uh, six years in the finance industry. So uh, first uh, in uh, the investment banking and then later on the private equity uh, business and at some point, uh, I had the opportunity either to continue that path or to change completely my career and step into the family company, uh, which I finally did. Right. And since 2011, I'm now part of Nagamore, and since uh, 2013, indeed, uh, leading the company. Interesting. Okay. So your family had businesses or machining business background? They had another company, also machining, uh, so they have some uh, experience, not, not the same type of machines, so not really turning machines, uh, uh, another division, but also automotive. Uh, so that's well how they got some experience and, uh, and were in the way uh, when the, the company, which was still on paper, was looking for someone else to, to really start the project. Interesting. Okay, I see. 
give me a little bit of a background on you. So your your family is German, and then you grew up in Spain. You were born in Spain. Yes, indeed, I did. So why did your family move to Spain from Germany? I'll answer with the same uh, funny answer that my father does when he's uh, asked this question. Uh, he came here for the first time in 1962 uh, to learn one year Spanish. And he said, okay, uh, I'll keep as long as I need until I can perfectly speak Spanish. And here <laughs> he is still uh, improving it. <laughs> I like it. By then, and it was really something unusual because uh, normally people from Spain were traveling, for example, to Germany to look for jobs. Uh, he did it uh, the other way around. Mm -hmm. And uh, the NT, he liked uh, the, the life here, the opportunities that he found. And uh, 50 years later, here he is. I see. And your mom is Spanish? No, she's German as well. And she moved also to Spain uh, a few year, uh, years later. Very interesting. How often do you go back to Germany or do you ever go back to Germany just for business? A few times a year. I mean, for, for business, perhaps two, three times a year. And then I try to connect it uh, with some family visits. Sometimes we have uh, some longer stays where we have uh, family encounters. So uh, at least three, four times a year, uh, I usually go to Germany. Interesting. Yeah, I, I'm glad I cleared that up. You know, when I try to place your accent... I, I guess it's a Spanish accent, but I, I don't know. I always pictured, oh, I'm talking to Patrick Bosch. This must be a German-English accent. Yes. <laughs> so you studied engineering. You had a family background in engineering or manufacturing. Is machining a popular subject in Spain or manufacturing that sort of world? In the north of Spain, it is a quite well-known industry and uh, quite popular, I would say. Uh, in Madrid, uh, a bit. If you go to the south, uh, the less, <laughs> probably. So here in Spain, we have a, a higher industrialization rate in the north areas or rather than the southern regions. Uh, but uh, generally, yes, it's, uh, it's, 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 well, it's uh, of course, a very well-known uh, uh, job and uh, there are quite many uh, young people's doing it. Nowadays, I would say people, when they think of uh, technology, they think more of IT technology or some new technologies rather than machining. But it is really part of, uh, of the industry here. And uh, in Spain, for example, automotive industries uh, is more than 10% or around 10% of GDP. Okay. So okay. it's a very important uh, industry. Sure. So yeah, you said the Basque country and then manufacturing and machining is pretty big in Catalonia, right? As well, like Barcelona. Exactly. Yes. So Basque country and Catalonia are the two main regions. Madrid would be the third one, I would say. And those are the two regions that are always wanting to leave Spain. <laughs> yes, indeed. So here, we, here is Nagamore trying to, to cope up. <laughs> Okay. So yeah, that's something I think a lot of people don't know about Spain. Spain is very, my impression having been there is it's, it's not the most united country among its regions. Is that true? Or am I, is, is there a, like a, a Spanish pride among the people? I am Spanish or is it mainly, um, you know, I'm Catalonian, I'm Castilian. Half the, of the population are really are proud of being Spanish. Uh, the other half uh, think more regionally, perhaps. 
Um, but if you look into the history books, I mean, Spain is a country that exists for more than 300 years now. So indeed, it's one of the oldest countries in, uh, in Europe, uh, despite the fact that there are some regions like the ones you just mentioned that uh, have also their own cultures. And having a, an old culture, an own culture can be is, is a very good thing, uh, but can also sometimes uh, have feelings that uh, might not be, uh, well, might not allow you to think as Spain as a uh, as one country, but uh, as a, as a sum of different regions. But you uh, living in Madrid, you know the capital. You're one of the the people who you're more. I'm Spanish. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say yes. Hey, listeners! We are always looking for new show sponsors, new ideas for podcasts new ideas for episodes, and your feedback. In fact, at this very moment, I am looking for somebody to interview to talk about the machining industry in Asia. Feel free to give us a shout anytime by using the contact information on todaysmachiningworld.com. So is it difficult for you to find skilled workers where you are? Everybody is most most places I talk to around the world, people are complaining about that. It's hard to find. You know, we we mentioned before. You said engineering is a you know it's a well regarded subject, but as far as people that want to work in a shop, you know, from the ground up, is it hard to find people that want to learn or that already have the talent? It's it's not easy. I can. Uh, I'm in the same opinion that uh, nowadays skilled uh, workers uh, is difficult to find, and usually you don't find them. You really have to uh, to make them learn uh, as they do their job and uh, train them. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, because the machining business is often very unique, and every shop has his specific machines, brands, etc., processes. So uh, even if they do have some experience from uh, previous. Uh, the jobs it might not always be useful on your own in your own company right uh, so that's why at the end you you end up uh, having to train them uh, yourself i see uh well you know it's often better to train them yourself anyways they say because then you don't have to make them unlearn something <laughs> yes. else exactly so you said 10 percent of spain is automotive uh what what else is spain known for as far as manufacturing in general and machining where do you guys shine well there's also quite a uh, now if you think for example in, in, in energy or renewable energy so uh, all the renewable uh, wind uh, um, turbines for example there's well-known uh, turbines uh, manufacturers here in, in spain gamesa for example um, then you have uh, well other type of businesses, uh, which is uh, not machining itself, but uh, industry in general. So all other energy and uh, engineering companies itself. So companies that make engineering projects. Spain is very, uh, very well known worldwide for engineering projects. So, so this is also one of the flagships I would uh, really count in Spain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a few years ago, there was a lot of talk about the unemployment in Spain and how it was what 50% of men under 25 were unemployed or I, I, I need to check the stats. What is it like right now? I know I'm sure everything went haywire with the virus, but is unemployment a huge issue in Spain, like more than other European countries? And 
Uh, unemployment in Spain is generally an issue because in Spain you have a, a lot of short-time work employees. Uh, for example, the entire uh, tourism industry. Uh, so you have the summer months uh, where you have a, a high rate of uh, people working uh, in all of the tourist areas, restaurants, hotels, etc. And then, of course, uh, the rest of the year when then this goes down, uh, these people are unemployed. So type uh, a part of our economical structure uh, makes it structural uh, that we do have uh, a high unemployment rate, um, higher than any other country. So here, for example, uh, beginning of this year, pre-crisis, it was, I would say, around uh, 11%. So it was going down towards 10. Mm -hmm. Right now, it's again at 18 uh, with, uh, after a few months of, of crisis. So you have a very uh, quick uh, jumps that go up and down uh, very quickly. And yeah. uh, one of the reasons is uh, precisely uh, this economic structure that, that we have. I see. Tell people about the typical uh, workday of a Spanish person, both in the office and in the shop. I mean, it's a bit different, right? I mean, you guys start, you have a, a siesta in the middle of the day or, uh, this is <laughs> or is that a bunch of BS? The, you, you cannot say that we have a siesta. This does never, ever happen. <laughs> Hopefully, of course, uh, when you're in summer on vacation, uh, you do a siesta, but not when you're working. Okay. So, uh, an, a normal day. I mean, here in Spain, uh, Spain has uh, one difference, and it's uh, quite unique because even neighbor countries like Portugal or France or Italy uh, don't have this. Is that we work... Uh, like in another, like if it would be in another time zone. So if everyone is waking up at, I don't know, six in the morning in Spain, you're waking up at uh, 7.30. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm talking in general, not uh, there's, uh, if you have them, for example, people working on the shop uh, that work uh, three shifts a day, and they start at seven. So here, for example, our morning shift starts at seven. And uh, if you go to, to Germany, to give you an example, uh, they start at six. Or uh, and then lunch is at uh, noon or twelve thirty, and here it's at uh, I would say two. It's usually the uh, the time two p.m. And same for dinners. Don't go for dinner before I would say eight thirty nine. And uh, there are people in summer that go even at, at ten to have dinner. So it's uh, it's uh, we live like we would be uh, one two hours uh, later than than everyone. And I guess that might be also one of the reasons why uh, we have always this. Uh, <laughs> Prejudgment that in Spain we're late. We're not late. We're just starting later and then ending later. What is a normal um, somebody in the shop or at a machining company? What what is the range of salaries? I know that that the the price of living is a little different, but it's not that different. I mean, from Spain and the United States, I think. Mm -hmm. It varies. I mean, in, in Spain, you have people that, uh, I mean, if you hire someone who has no experience at all, uh, you might start at, uh, I would say, $21,000 a year. How many, year, how many euros? 20,000 20, euros a year. Okay. 18 to 20, but uh, this is just, so just the salary, basic salary. So no extras or and no social security. In the U.S., you don't know uh, about Social Security as, as we do. And in Spain, for example, you need to add 33% uh, uh, of the salary uh, of the people. So if someone has a salary of 21000 for example, you're paying twenty-eight. Okay, okay. You need to pay the 7000 extra to, to the government. Sure. And is that, co is that covering health insurance? Exactly. So that, that's how you cover health, mainly health and then uh, pensions. Okay. And unemployment. 
and unemployment. I've heard that the health insurance in Spain is really good. Is this, uh, is this true? Yes, it is. I mean, here, there are people who can afford it do usually have also a private insurance, and then they can choose. But whenever you have something which is really serious, mm-hmm. although you have the, the opportunity to go to the private doctor, you, go, you end up always going to the public. Really? Yes, always. I mean, I'm assuming you have both, so... Yes, and, uh, and I usually only go to the public one because it's just perfect. I always ask myself, why do I have the, uh, the private one? Just in case, for a second opinion. <laughs> exactly. So just in case something happens, uh, I would uh, pull myself from the hair. Uh, if something happens, then I wouldn't have it if I can afford it. But it's not like in, uh, in the US. I mean, here it's much more affordable. I mean, here the, uh, and in, in my age, you might, have, you might have to pay, I don't know, six, 700 euros a, a year. So 60, 70 uh, a month. So it's, it's, it's really not too much. But you feel like if you have the public health insurance, you're going to get all the care you need, all the drugs you need, really good doctors. You're not going to be waiting in long lines. You only have to wait. If you, if you have something which is not serious, then you have to wait. If you have something serious, then you are really taken care of. Fair enough. Well, that would be nice to have here. What is something about Spain that people around the world just wouldn't expect? Um, in Spain, people work much harder than uh, our reputation uh, is. I would say this is something that uh, uh, you can really say uh, from Spanish people. Very interesting. Okay. This brings me to, uh, to Mexico a bit. We could probably have a whole nother interview about Mexico. Tell me about a little bit about what you guys are doing down there and why you started it in Mexico. Mexico and Sonagamex, uh, the, the project itself, it's, uh, it's something that started uh, in our brains already 2015. So we got, uh, uh, during two years, uh, two of our main customers knocking on the door, asking us, why wouldn't you uh, evaluate the possibility of uh, opening a, a shop there so that you can be a, a local supplier to our uh, Mexican or, or North American uh, plants. And after two years of hearing the same message, uh, at some point we decided, well, let's, let's go to Mexico. Let's have a first uh, feeling on, uh, on the floor, how it is like uh, there. So you were exporting a lot. You were exporting a lot to Mexico and the U.S. Before, already. Uh, our customers, so automotive and mainly uh, big and uh, international companies, but of European uh, origin. Mm-hmm. They usually in Mexico and North America buy a lot of turn parts either from European suppliers or from Asian suppliers. Okay. But there's quite a gap in the, in the North American market. That's uh, why they were pushing so strongly to have something, uh, someone local there because at the end, uh, uh, they always go for the most competitive one or the one with the best quality. But as soon as you are in similar ranges, uh, the region for region uh, policy is what really at the end counts. So... Uh, that's uh, why they were pushing us to, to evaluate this. And uh, well, after uh, another year of uh, thinking about it and business plan drawings, etc., we decided to go for it. I mean, I guess it's hard to evaluate it because of certain things that have come up. But how is it going? Is it, or have there been a lot of unexpected challenges, a lot of unexpected things you've encountered aside from COVID? In, in general, I think 
um, we have encountered uh, the, the, the main uh, topics that you hear about Mexico, uh, namely a lot of paperwork uh, with the administ public administration. So this is something that is really generally well, uh, resource taking, let me say it this way. And then also, well, you have some uh, employee turnaround. So you have some very good employees and then you have some others which well, really go there and uh, after one month you don't even know the name again because it's the third guy in the same position. So it's uh, in, in Mexico you have a bit of everything, um, but the ones uh, which stay and are loyal, they, these are very, very uh, good people. Also, something I have to say for Mexico, until now, so two years uh, we are now in Mexico, we have not uh, been approached for any type of corruption or nothing like that. So this is something uh, positive and also a, a prejudgment uh, generally for Mexico. And I think the automotive industry there is uh, very well established. And uh, as you are in a very well established and professionalized uh, business area. Where, what area are you in? What city? Querétaro. Oh, Querétaro. Yeah, it's in the center of the country in a, in a region called El Bajío. Mexico seemed like a good fit, I'm assuming, because of the language. Yes, language indeed is, uh, well, was one of the main uh, drivers. When we got approached, uh, of course, uh, instead of Mexico, why not Asia, for example? Yeah. Oh, yeah a bigger market than in, uh, in North America. But at the end there, the, the cultural difference is even stronger and the language barrier is uh, absolutely well i think you can uh, work there with a, a translator the entire life before you learn chinese or, or any language they speak there no it's totally true i could see that and the cultural differences yeah they, i it must make it much more smooth where do you see uh nagamore in the next next year as far as the challenges do you see business is going to be pretty good well, now with the Corona crisis, uh, so we had a few months uh, where everything really uh, well turned down and was very, very uh, well, slow and calm. And we see now that the, after summer, it seems that uh, everyone is going crazy again and uh, not sure where and how they're going to sell as many cars as we're producing <laughs> parts for. Uh, truth is that I think that the, probably the pipeline of the supply chain is, is filling up. So that's why we have a a peak in demand now in, uh, in September, October. And then uh, from, from November onwards, we'll probably see the, the real structural demand that will stay after the crisis. Mm -hmm. Not sure if uh, this will change if uh, there's a vaccine on the way and people then will uh, go crazy because we can again party uh, and suddenly economy grows and in our case, uh, automotive market uh, grows with it. Maybe the case, but... Uh, I would say for the first, uh, as a first uh, answer, a few months of uh, strong recovery, and then we'll see yeah. where we stabilize. Well, you, your business is what, like a 90% automotive or? 99. 99. So when COVID hit, how much was it down? 50%? 70%. So we were indeed, uh, we're two months uh, having a turnover of 28, 29% of a, a pre-COVID uh, month. Wow. Strongly, very strongly, yes. What is uh, something interesting you learned last week? Hmm. That's an interesting question. <laughs> oh, what did I learn last week? It doesn't have to be that profound. If it's deep, that's good, though. Yeah, I don't know. 
Not, not that deep, but indeed, I saw two weeks ago, indeed, on a weekend, I saw someone on a bicycle on the water. Whoa. So top that. <laughs> well, were they, were they being pulled by a boat? Or? No, no, no. You're, they're really doing it. Uh, and when they were, they were paddling and the, the wheels uh, underneath the water, and, uh, they were moving forward like a paddle boat. So the wheels were... So were very difficult to imagine uh, until you see it. Because so I, the I, wheels, I, but the wheels were special, right? They had like certain... Yes, yes, of course. Blades yes. on them or... It's, it's not like like round wheels as you can imagine uh, them, but uh, you were uh, the guys were just moving like if they were on the bicycle because everything was a bicycle, uh, but then they weren't floating on a device. You didn't see what was under the water, and they were just uh, well, everyone was uh, looking at them and uh, just going crazy uh, to to see what was uh, uh, how they were doing it. Awesome, thank you so much, Patrick. From today's machining world, this is a Swarfcast production. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to see extended video interviews and join our mailing list. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our audio engineer is Bill Steffi. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information on todaysmachiningworld.com.